Hey there, Mama. Have you ever felt alone in your extended breastfeeding journey? Like you're the only one still going? Do you swing wildly between one day feeling like you have a superhero power to feeling touched out and like you never want to nurse again? How do I know this? Because I've been there too. My name is Erin Harris. I'm a lactation educator, family communication expert, wife, mom of two, and proud extended breastfeeder for four and a half years. I successfully weaned my kids in a gentle way, and you can too. Welcome to Weaning It, a podcast for toddler nursing moms, where we embrace the adventure of extended breastfeeding without judgment. In this space, we'll hit the tough stuff head on, celebrate your amazing accomplishments, and navigate the complexities of gentle parenting so you can learn how to parent once the milk goes away. It's a journey, and I'm here to guide you every step of the way. Together, we'll laugh and probably cry, learn and uncover the privilege of being an extended nursing mom. So if you're tired of being told to just wean and craving a community that truly understands, weaning it is for you. Let's get started. Hello, welcome to Weaning It, episode two. This is our first interview episode, and I'm so excited to share it with you. Erin Spar is a therapist who specializes in helping moms by looking at your family of origin and how society contributes to your symptoms. Through the lenses of attachment theory and something called matricentric feminism, which is basically feminism focused on motherhood, she helps moms work through mom guilt, burnout, perfectionism, and relationship struggles through education and support. Erin is the feminist mom therapist on Instagram and is the host of the Feminist Mom Podcast. But for our purposes here, Erin is also a mom of two boys, the first she nursed for three years and the second for five years. We dive into her experiences, including strategies she used to help guide her sons to the finish line to successfully wean on their terms. So with that, here's my interview with Erin. Enjoy. Erin, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Um, Okay. So let, I, I want to not waste like any second with you because we tend to, I think, talk a lot. So why don't you share your breastfeeding experience first, and then we'll dive into the feminism stuff later. So um, let's let's start. What was the beginning like for you? Did you plan to breastfeed as long as you did? No. <laughs> it's the, it's the uh, short answer. The, the longer answer is, let me think back. So my oldest is 11, and so I've had two breastfeeding journeys um, with him you know, I was a new mom. I didn't have a lot of friends yet who were even parents. And so definitely felt like I was trying to figure it out. Attachment parenting was sort of the, I don't know, kind of in style, I guess, kind of method, though also it was kind of depicted as like this sort of extreme um, way of parenting. But I kind of, I was influenced by like Dr. Sears, which now I have different feelings about, but at the time was sort of talking a lot about, um, you know, ways of kind of bonding with our babies. I also, you know, was learning from who was um, Harvey Karp mm. with the five S's or something yep. and kind of like learning about, you know, babies. From, and th- that was kind of like the knowledge I had. My own mom did breastfeed a, um, for a bit of time. I know that. Um, there's actually some cool pictures of her um, in the day, back in the day in the 80s. Um, but so like I kind of, I wanted to do it right. I was a therapist, um, a baby therapist at the time and wanted to also like kind of use what I knew about, um, you know, attachment even like I know that's a common thing we're talking about now everyone's like knows their attachment styles but like you know again there I was like this I feel like there was something instinctual about just like wanting to go toward things that felt like I was meeting 
the, my child's needs over necessarily what I thought the social norms were at the time. So did you? So it's like kind of a yeah. Did you feel long. the social eleven years ago was it not as pushed upon to breastfeed? Would you say? I think um, I think less so actually. Um, was just the feeling. I it's funny because once I did start breastfeeding, I became really passionate about it. As I you could probably imagine, based on other things that I'm passionate about, I get really into it. A lot of people do that. Yeah. Um, but it did. I didn't feel like I saw it anywhere. I don't think I. I I was in a hospital setting because I worked as a therapist and there were talks about like baby friendly hospitals. And I remember kind of learning about that. Um, and there was like, you know, a, a program like with resources and, and pumping kind of areas and things like that. But again, like it just felt like not something I really saw. Um, I did have a like a supervisor in a previous job who I who was a, also kind of a friend and I watched her go through that and she was kind of the only person and so she had pumped mm-hmm. in the in after she came back to work and that was really like kind of a the only person who I had really seen do it so um so I planned to I, I knew I wanted to and then um you know it definitely had it was tricky definitely um the first several months, I think, you know, it was a lot of learning. It was pain, you know, even though they say you're not supposed to, but like figuring out the latch takes time sometimes for some babies and supply and trying to figure out, you know, like laying backwards in a recliner because I felt like, you know, trying to manage all that and figure that out. So, um, and then, we continued on for a while. Um, I again, I my goal was a year. I think at the time, um, a year was like the first goal, and then I pretty quickly my next goal was two years because I remember the World Health Organization kind of was talking about that, and that again I thought I felt like this was kind of like different. I I didn't see my friends or people who were like kind of starting to have babies like do that. So I always just felt like. You know, I was doing something countercultural, mm. even though I like knew it was normal and like would look up like La Leche League and try to like find some support. I really liked um, Kelly Mom. Mm. I don't know if you, yeah, that was like where I went for like everything. And I felt like I had to like research it all and like really, I mean, it was just so much work, like sitting with my phone uh, in the middle of the night <laughs> yeah. with the baby trying to like understand everything and I felt like I became an expert because that's what a lot of you have to a lot do. of perfectionistic yeah and yeah so I I exclusively breastfed and now I'm like Aaron you could have just chilled out but I, at the time it felt very important it felt like something that I wanted to to do my babies seemed to respond it felt like nursing was this like tool that I had. And I actually really felt like the big secret is that nursing post a year is like super helpful. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, again, if folks are like not into that, fine, whatever. Like I am so whatever folks need to do. But I did feel like, wait, actually toddlers are a lot of energy and I'm a very like low energy I'm very tired all the time. I'm still trying to figure all that out. But I'm like, if I can do it laying down, that's great. And so I think I also really liked having that tool as like a, a mom with um, with energized kids. Um, and so my first one, we I did get him to night wean finally around 18 months or so. How did you do that? I'm sure people are leaning in right now like, how did you yeah. do that? So he was easier. The second one, not so much. But I actually brought some of the, this one book, Nurses When the Sun Shines. Mm. I'm just like showing you. Yes. But it's, it had really pretty pictures. It's like, you know, a white mom and a white maybe boy or girl kind of gender neutral. And they show they show like a – co-sleeping family, which we actually weren't with my first. I would get up and go into the recliner and then go back and forth. So that that was exhausting. But it was kind of a sweet little book that 
um, we talked about the nurse, nurses when the sun shines. So we kind of explained kind of when, the, when it's dark, we sleep, you know, and everyone sleeps. And so I, I think that helped. And then I think he just eventually developmentally mm-hmm. slept through the night yeah, and to, at 18 months. And to clarify, this is a, a children's book. So you can like go on Amazon yes. and search that. I'll put it in the show notes too. It, it's, there are several options, but that is a good one. Um, and it is kind of hit or miss. Sometimes that, that yeah. works. Like the kid's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And sometimes they're like, no, <laughs> too bad. That's totally. nice for the book. But it, you know, right. you can try for sure as an option. And I got more <laughs> for the second one because I was like, help, but none of them work. So, yeah, I definitely want to yeah, add to that. So, the yeah, so the first one, we ended up, um, you know, going till three. And at, at two, I felt good. At two to three, I felt like, again, I was, like, doing something countercultural, like – you know, my younger sister didn't have kids yet. Now she's nursing her babies and it's normal. But then it was like, what are you doing? That's so weird. You know, like it just felt like um, I felt very self-conscious. I also am very like large chested. And so I personally just always felt really self-conscious. I didn't feel like I could just like be in public and yeah, things like that. Yeah, I was the that. exact so, same way. So did you feel isolated <sighs> because of that? Like did you yeah. have to go – did you feel your comfort level was to like go away and nurse? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't want to feel that way, you know, and part of it is like I'm this feminist, right? Now it's which is like developed over time, but I always was like I should be able to, but I still felt like my body still felt exposed. And yeah. I think we can even get into a little bit more of that, but just like as a woman being sexualized by like yes, my entire you your know, entire life, my, my entire, entire life. And all of a sudden I'm supposed to be and, okay with the boob being out for everyone to see. It was like yeah, very, very uncomfortable for me as well. And for anyone who can do it, oh my god, amazing! Like when I see women doing, it, I want to. I don't want to draw yes. attention, but I also want to be like, "You're amazing." Um, did you find like with either the toddler or even when they were younger, did they um, get distracted nursing in public? If you tried, like, was that a, an issue for you? Yeah, I mean, I think we would do if we were out. Sometimes we would do car. Like the ones where you like hop in the car and get the temperature right. And like I would just feel more comfortable there because I think, yeah, if you're like out in a store or something like and I think once they're toddlers, like you don't need to like draw you, you're more distracted. So it usually if my baby's like it was much more like during comfort times, during sleep, waking up from naps, things like that or reunions, you know, as someone who like worked outside the home, like, you know, starting at 12 weeks, I it would be like really important, I think. For us as like a bonding, you know, um, after daycare and things like that. So, um, but yes, lots of like, what do they call it? Like gymnastics, Uh toddler nursing upside down and all of that. Yeah. How was it with your husband um, with your nursing journey? Like I'm assuming supportive, but when it got into toddlerhood, did that, were there any comments? Were there any, anything... You know, that's part of what's kept me going is he's always felt like it's been normal to him. He's never once made any comment. I sometimes I'm like, do you think this is normal? He's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like it's it's like fine. Like it's not it's not weird. It's not doesn't get in the way of anything. Um, so I really always appreciate that. I mean, not that he gets like cookies for it, but like yeah, it's it's like this is normal. Okay, good. Because I mean, the support part is like if if you're living with someone who's giving you negative feedback, that's yeah, that's a hard space to be. Um, okay, so your first you weaned at three. Was there motivation behind that because you wanted to try for more? So actually, I had um, I we we were trying to kind of wait till he was like ready to kind of wait himself, and that's like a process of like. You know, there were some days where I'm like, I need to stop. I, like, can't do this anymore. And other times I'm like, okay, it's fine. You know, that kind of back and forth. Um, but then I got really sick. I had um, all of a sudden a lot of anxiety, like really severe anxiety, chest, heart palpitations. 
I lost a lot of weight. I was like really shaky. And it turned out that um, my thyroid, which a lot of women have thyroid issues, um, was like in hyperthyroid. Um, I had hyperthyroidism. And so I ended up going to, I was hospitalized and oh went through this whole journey. And so because of all of that, I was kind of like, I just can't do it. I was introducing new medications that I was just like not comfortable with. Before that, I was okay with taking Zoloft while nursing. I met something that um, I felt like safe doing, but some of the other medications we were trying, I just didn't feel as comfortable. So luckily I was able to wean him quite pretty easily because he was three and we could talk about it. And there are a couple like, you know, a couple weeks of like, you know, get talking about it, talking a lot about his feelings. And how did that, you know, how did that look for, for you? What would you talk to him about? Oh my goodness. We would, and I, I still do this with, we'll talk about my, yeah. my second, but, um, yeah, like sort of, oh, we love nurses. We called it nurses, um, maybe because of the book. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like we love nurses. We're going to miss it. And I always would sort of normalize that and say, yeah, it's really sad because rather than sort of like jumping to, but you're a big boy, right? But really like honoring the, the loss and the grief. Um, and then I'd always try to offer that reassurance about the security that I would be mm. there. So like, yeah, nurses, we don't have nurses anymore. We loved having nurses. That was so special. Um, but now we have hugs. And actually my son would call the armies for a little while. So he would oh my rub goodness. my, like the top of my arm. Cause he thought he said, it's, it's like cold and it's like whatever. So that was his little replacement where he would just and so then we would talk about armies mm. and he would just touch my arms. And so kind of giving him that still that very physical um, touch and connection um, and kind of you adding that a little bit into our routine. I love that as in like I talk a lot about not just taking what you're going to re take away, but what are you replacing it with? And so giving them an alternative instead of just saying like, don't touch my boob, right? Like sometimes yeah. when we're at that point, but like, yeah, touch my arm instead or cuddle. It's a really great, um, option. Yeah. Okay. So you weaned him and how much space was there time wise between him and your second? Yeah. So I took a little break because I was dealing with my health stuff and that, um, got better. And also he was like a lot of, he was very highly like emotional kid, highly sensitive. We get difficult, whatever word you want to use. Strong-willed maybe. Um, Strong-willed. There's all kinds of nice ways of saying like he was more challenging. Um, and for me, like just with our different temperaments. Um, so I really felt like I needed some time. And I had a template because my sister and I are five and a half years apart where I was kind of okay with a little bit of um, space. So we did end up waiting um, about five years until having uh, or getting pregnant. So um, and then yeah, and then Ollie, my um, second son was uh, born. And I figured that would you know, I was a pro. I went went for three years. I figured I could do this. Yeah. It's different and then, the second of course. time. It's very, <laughs> it's very like you, yeah. I, I felt like I had this, like it was overconfidence, right? Like the first time you're like, yes. I have no idea. And the second time you're like, I got this. And then they start throwing you the curveballs. <laughs> the second one. Right? Always a curveball. Yeah. Because it's never the same. Um, yeah. And so he was... Um, you know, his latch was really like tight and really sh um, shallow and he was like swallowing air and it, and it felt like he was like ch choking a lot. And my first one had like reflux, but like the second one just like seemed so uncomfortable and was like moving around a lot. So I, I felt like there was something wrong, something going on, but like he was still getting enough. He was still growing. And of course, like, I don't know was it like seven weeks in? I finally kind of figured out, I think this is a tongue tie. Um, and there was lots of, it was like painful. Like I could do it. I like, I pushed through, yeah. but it was like a pretty uncomfortable latch for a while. What, and did, 
did you not have that discomfort the first time? Or was it different? Um, like It got better. Okay. Yeah. It, got, it was more like in the beginning for a little bit, it hurt, but then it, that sort of resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, with this one, it was – it kept – going and it was just like I, I could tolerate it but it was certainly not comfortable and I could just tell he was suffering yeah. um, and so I finally you know then I become an expert in that right then you become an expert in tongue ties and I'm on the Facebook groups and I'm like look, trying to look it up and then I'm watching videos of wait I need a chiropractor now <laughs> and I need to get it to, you know the re- the release so we did end up Going, you know, finding the who's the one who does the tongue ties in the area. Found Dr. Marcus, who like everyone in Baltimore like had sent their kids to, and um, finally got that released, which is pretty stressful. Yeah. Like it is, it's like not, it's not great, but it did um, gradually help. Um, and you know, so this is a tongue tie baby where we pain, and this little guy, he's he has nursed till five mm-hmm. so it started off with you know first like probably several months like three four m- months five months like of just uh, when did he get the adjusting when did he get it um revised it was probably like nine weeks or so and i only had a 12 week uh. maternity leave and you so have a it was like my whole maternity time. leave is colicky yeah, yeah. And like he was colicky because of that. And so we're bouncing on balls and we're trying, you know, t- doing the football holds and trying to figure out like, you know, doing all kinds of moves to try to make him more comfortable. Um, so that it was not a great maternity leave for the second, even though I was this like pro. Yeah. Um, but we did, we did get, clearly we did get past that but that was hard and I really feel for whenever I see another tongue-tie parent especially when it's it's figured out a little bit later like not like right away it's like a really hard thing to go through maybe this we can talk about this in the second half too of the not believing moms like you know or trusting our your instincts like you had the instinct that something wasn't right and I'm sure you were told so many times that you were wrong that it was fine Mm mm-hmm that it was yeah and nobody looks I mean I don't know like what really did I need to like go through all of that yeah. How, why I don't know the whole tongue-tie thing I'm sure is a whole yeah well like I mean controversy because people now are saying like people are overdoing it I think there was an article that came out yeah, about it's, overdoing the releases I think that was like yeah I I don't even know um how to get into that but I don't I don't think that's necessarily the case but it's one of those things where it's like we're seeing an an exponential rise in them. So um, you think that there must be some other issue and it could just be that there are more breastfeeding women. So we're Mm -hmm. feeling the pain. And I don't think that there were less kids necessarily before, but there were more bottle fed kids or moms who would just say like, oh, well, this hurts. So I don't want to do it anymore because they weren't told 20 years ago, breast is best and you're, you know, failing as a mom if you're not doing this thing, right? So there's a lot of other factors going into it, but I think there are more moms like you who are advocating and going to find the specialist on your own instead of waiting to be referred or a lot of physicians, right, aren't specialists. And so they look and they say they don't see anything. And so moms trust the pediatrician and the pediatrician isn't actually looking correctly because there's, there's, very, there's ties in the cheeks. There can be an upper lip tie. There yeah. can be multiple lower lip ties. So um, there's so many things that I'm not even a specialist to look at. Like I would refer someone out as well. So it's mm-hmm. it's tricky. And so I'm glad that you were able to, even though it, months later corrected or weeks later, like it enabled you to continue on the way you wanted to mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I think one benefit of working. I mean, I'm I'm a huge proponent of paid parental leave. I think we need more of it. We need longer. We need something to start with, but we need a lot more than even has been proposed. Like, um, and we need men to take it too, obviously. But I think because I was working, in some ways, it gave me some 
breaks from it, you know, where I, I would nurse in the evening and night in the morning on the weekends, but like, especially when it was uncomfortable and things like that, like the workday kind of helped in some ways to kind of be able to go back. And um, like, if I was a stay at home mom, I don't know if I'd want like the way my babies would probably want to nurse all the time. Like if I would be, have been able to keep going the way I did, mm-hmm. um, you know, when they're like crawling all over you all the time. So I think sometimes that separation helped me in achieving that goal. Okay. So your second reach is one. And mm-hmm. what did that look like? Was it still just like both happy, go lucky? How was he with food? Like was there was there um, a nutritional reason to keep going? Or at that point for you, was it the, oh, this is a nice switch. Let's get into toddlerhood and have it be for that parenting as opposed to like livelihood need for it. Right. Yeah, no, it definitely by by a year it was less about a livelihood. And definitely you know, some kids aren't as don't even have the preference so much, but like my kids both like just like really preferred it as like a comforting um thing. So it that was sort of the primary thing is like before bed. I mean, both my babies like would nurse to sleep. That's like how we got them to sleep. That's they wake up at night. That's how um that's how they got back to sleep. And with my second because I was like, I don't think I can get up every yeah. <laughs> couple hours and go sit in the chair. And I started to learn more about co-sleeping and how to do that safely. Because, of course, I was not actually being safe by falling asleep in a recliner. Because that was like, well, I'm not bed sharing. And because that was something that I was scared of. And so I really did the research. And really from day one, I ended up bed sharing with the second and that helped the nursing relationship as well because um we figured out eventually especially once they're like one where we can kind of sleep through some of it which I think really helped or kind of be you're sort of it's a, not the best sleep you know yeah. my hips would be like hurting and it's like you're gonna find the positions oh, yeah, the and sleep stuff, positions but... you're just like a board right like <laughs> Um, yeah, it's not like amazing, but it helped to keep get more sleep. Yeah, because that way. I, and God, our stories are so similar. It's it's eerie, but yeah, with the second, it was the that well actually with the first, what I struggled most with with the chair sleeping and everything and the night nursing was the the transition back into the crib always woke her up. So yes, so when you're co sleeping and you're laying there, you that transition never happens and they just go back to sleep. So you go back to sleep. And I was almost angry because very similar to you, I was so afraid to with the first. And then with the second, I was just like, I need to survive here. And um, I was just like, why why don't they educate about safe, right? Like why don't they talk about the safety of it as opposed to don't do it, like the abstinence of it? Because we do, we end up doing it wrong or wrong meaning unsafely without realizing mm-hmm. it. Um, so how long – are you still co-sleeping? How long did that – because when did that transition happen, if it happened? Yeah. So we we did transition – I don't even know when. I'm, I'm a tired mom. <laughs> I, what is time? I don't know. But at some point, like, I think we always tried to put him down in his bed, his space – for the beginning of the night and often my husband was better I could like couldn't get him down like I would if I would like nurse him to sleep he'd want to stay there so, so usually my husband would then try to do his way of bouncing or whatever and that he could like put him down and leave <laughs> like yeah. I'm like I can't seem to do that which I which I just want to say if any other moms feel that way like it it feels awful to feel like you can't just put your baby to sleep like yeah. And put them away in their crib or whatever and go do something. You know, people act like, oh, I just put my baby to sleep at 7 o'clock and then I have all this time. I didn't have babies like that. Yeah. They wouldn't do that. And so if my husband wasn't like had a work thing where he would be gone or whatever, I would be sometimes just like bouncing at 10 o'clock at night trying to like – especially with two kids. Yep. Like, okay – um, older kid, you wait here while I keep bouncing and hopefully I'll get him down. Like, and he would just like not want to leave my arms. Yeah. And so then I'm like, how do I take care of two? So I just, people who make it look easy, I think the rest of us are like, 
what did I, am I doing something wrong? Oh um, my God. Is that just the theme of like motherhood life? Am I, am I doing yeah. it wrong? <laughs> like, um, yeah. Well, and there's a, a beauty to that too, though, that I think that sometimes we, we have these weird, um, let's not talk about sleep for a second. Let's talk about just comfort, right? Like if they're yeah. hurt and then boob, right? The solution is boob, boob, boob if they're sick. And that can be a struggle for partner, grandma, anyone else who doesn't have that magic tool. Sure. So it's valuable yeah. that they learn how to do the thing without it. And mm -hmm. ideally when, when the milk goes away, they can then help you learn how to parent without it because mm -hmm. they've been doing it the whole time. Right. Right. And that's actually been, I think, a huge part of our final success with weaning is we switch up the routine for my five-year-old and my husband's been putting him to bed, even though he didn't, I was like, I can't, I, I'm done. I'm sort of done with this, with nursing, even though it's like easy sometimes to get him to fall asleep. It's like, I, I don't think I could do this anymore. So um, yeah, my husband actually doing the routine, the, at least in the beginning. And then we would sort of have me come in a little bit later if he needed me to, to come in. That has been a, super helpful. And so, yeah, we're officially done. But yeah, but oh, my, my son would go to bed. You're officially done. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's happened in just the last couple months. I know. We talked. Oh, like December. Yeah. Okay. So we, yeah. that's a whole le level um, I didn't expect to talk about. But let's let's yeah. get into it. How how okay. was how well okay let me take a step back really quick when you, when someone hears I'm nursing a five year old yeah yeah um there's you know for most people who don't get into extended nursing they're thinking it's either round the clock or you know it's still many times a day and that's not what it looks like right what what right. did the mm -hmm. end look like for you the last like maybe year how how often were you nursing. So I, I didn't expect three, – three years was kind of what I expected. And I thought, okay, four years, that's a little – I know it's it's different. Again, like I'm so self-conscious. I'm this like feminist mom where I'm still like so self-conscious because I've seen how people talk about like and judge moms like on the internet. And they, they think it's weird. They think they sexualize it. They don't understand. So I, I, I need to like manage that myself and, and not project so much of that here. Um, for people listening, but I guess maybe maybe if you're feeling that way, yeah, that's what this know, is about. I'm sure. Yeah, I did. I, I call it closet nursing because you just kind of stop sharing it with people because you don't want to get judged. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think it it you understand it until you really experience mm -hmm. it. Um, but yeah, so the lot. I mean, I think weaning is a is a process, and the weaning starts like you know pretty early. I mean, you, you're kind of working towards something. And, um, I think the last, it was like a year and a half of, um, definitely a lot of boundaries. So I like pretty much would sort of only let him nurse like at nighttime. Um, I wouldn't nurse, let like nurse in public or if we had people over or whatever, I would just sort of be like, that's like for nighttime. And that was okay. It wasn't like a big, Deal, but sometimes, like if he was bored, I say, "Are you are you feeling bored? Are you feeling? Are you hungry? Are yeah. you you know?" So sometimes it can become like I'm feeling, I'm having a bad feeling, and I want comfort, which is a which is not bad, but wanting to introduce like kind of helping him identify what he was feeling and what other needs yes, he might have. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, so we would do a lot, I think a lot of that. And, um, but the nighttime it would be kind of like before bed. And then he usually would wake up in the middle of the night and just like crawl into our bed somehow, or my husband would have the monitor in his side and, um, be able to go grab him if he called mm. out for us. Um, and then somehow he would kind of end up and he still ends up in our bed um and snuggles and I actually love that I hate falling asleep with a baby on top of me where I'm, you're like kind of still awake and you're like stuck you can't yeah you're stuck but like once I'm already asleep and then his little soft little body comes into bed and in the morning we like snuggle and you know that's all great I love that um so that's we've been doing that but I just 
even at nighttime, he kept trying to like, he would just like nurse automatically. And so I ended up kind of sometimes being like, okay, we're not doing that anymore. Remember we talked about it and we have had all these conversations. We've been reading books about it. We talked, we've gone through different periods and he would say, I'm not ready yet. Wait till I'm five. Wait till I'm at this point. We would kind of talk about different milestones leading up to like when he might be ready and he would get sad. Yeah. And we also went through a big move. And so um, we moved from Baltimore, Maryland to Raleigh, North Carolina in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And he still sometimes talks about this like toy he had that we didn't bring with us and his room that he had. And so there's a lot of talk about loss. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a therapist, so I go t- toward talking about feelings and I'm not scared to talk about loss and sadness. I really want to normalize talking about those things. I don't want, I'm not trying to, you know, push or get them to, Hey, let's talk about this sad thing right now. But I think really that's something that we have made kind of normalized in our family of talking about sad things. And yeah, it's, I know it's so sad that we miss that. And just to let that be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of, I think, grief, like processing up till yes. this last kind of, we're done now. And then there have been a couple of times where he's tried to go for it. And I said, oh, no, we're done. You know, remember? And then a little pout and then we kind of move on. So um, so just hold, yeah. like holding the boundary at the end. How, how yeah. was the emotional part for you? I mean, I feel, I know some people feel like a sense of like grief or or sadness. I think um, after my first, I think I would have, I thought, I I don't know, I think I was sad that it was over, but this time it went on like for such a long time that I just feel, I feel complete. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like we didn't force him in in any way like to do something that was like really because I always felt like it's not that big of a deal like it's not that it's okay like I'm not it wasn't hurting me so much of it was like my own the socialization and kind of like this is just not what people do in America even though around the world there's a range right um so I I think I think I feel good that we got through it and that he got his needs met and um yeah I'm I'm okay with it. That's awesome. I'm not that I'm not sad that it's over necessarily cuz you were we ready. Did, we did a good job. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Okay. Um on that note, I want to make sure cuz I I have a lot of questions for you. Um because I love I know that was so long. No, <laughs> sorry, that was such a no, long. No, it's amazing. That's why I'm doing this because I want to share these stories because they're not shared, right? We they're not talked about a lot of the time because this, if you don't have the same journey as others, they don't get it. They're not going to connect in the same way. Um, but switching over to fem- feminism, uh, first of all, I'm curious because you said you were a baby therapist. Well, I mean, a young therapist, oh. like a new, new. <laughs> I was like, I need to new... go back to that because I don't know what a baby therapist is. I am, oh, okay, so you were a new therapist. But did you start with moms? Like, was that a focus or did that come in after you became a mother? Right. So I'd only been like a therapist for about a year before we got pregnant. Um, so that would have been like over 12 years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had I was interested in like working um, with trauma and anxiety and different things, but I think becoming a mom really so early, I just it really impacted me. And I again, I first was like, how come people are talking about breastfeeding? I like was signed myself up to do the like um, what was it like the in August, it's like World Breastfeeding mm-hmm. Month or something. And I was like, oh, we should put something up, which now I have different feelings about it because of all of the pressure people feel. It's like so much more, I think, complicated, I think, and how we present and encourage breastfeeding mm-hmm. without adding to the pressure moms already feel to be perfect and all of that. So, um, but yeah, I, but once I 
I, the breastfeeding thing became pop really like important to me. And then just like motherhood, I mean, became important. I certainly had some postpartum anxiety and which came out as like irritability and like rage and a lot of anger. Um, and so I definitely felt like moms needed, needed a lot of support. Okay. So bringing in the feminism part, like when I saw yeah. your Instagram and it said the feminist mom, and I was like, I don't, my brain's not computing because they, those are two ideas that seem opposite when oh, in my mind in a lot of ways, I guess, especially in the big, the, the second wave feminism, right? Like the, yeah. um, which for better or worse, I think is one of those images that have stuck around for a really long time of feminism. But um, you talk about matricentric feminism. Can you share a bit about what that is? Because it's such yeah. a cool idea. It is cool. And I honestly didn't really know about it until I was already talking about being a feminist mom and someone who was like, oh, have you heard of this actual thing called <laughs> matricentric feminism, which is this theory by, by a sociologist um, who – Andrea O'Reilly is her name um, – who coined the term. And it's basically like it's not – it doesn't replace feminism. It's sort of part of this idea of feminism needing to be inter intersectional, right? That we need to be making sure that we're acknowledging different groups and how they're affected, particularly marginalized groups. And so um, Andrea Rowley kind of theorized that like mothers have been sort of left out of mm -hmm. feminism, as you mentioned, out of like certainly um, kind of what we often think about is like feminism is like you, you're kind of defying your, your womanhood in some ways. You're like, I'm, I'm just like a man, mm -hmm. therefore I should be treated like a man. And so there's something about motherhood that's like, well, <laughs> there, there is something that is biological or something that is like, you know, different about being a mom than not being a mom or not or being a dad. Um, and so honoring those needs and saying that it's important, saying that what mothers need is important. And and so now we're having all these conversations about like emotional labor and and domestic labor and all the things that we associate with motherhood. And rather than saying, oh, those things aren't it worthy or important because they're associated with mothers or, or the feminine or whatever, it's actually, no, they are important. And so how do we support mothers um, in a society? Um, I'm sure we'll get there, but we pay them, right? <laughs> we, we, we pay moms to be moms. That's maybe where we should go, but. That's what we should do. Yeah. Um, okay. So we, how old are you? 40. Okay. That's right. Like we're, I'm 40 in June. So we're really similar paths here. Um, so we both grew up with like the, we can do it all, right? The, mm -hmm. Those phrases that, I mean, I very much, I, I still consider myself a feminist, but growing up I was like, yes, like I can do all the things, right? And do you, how do you think that has maybe harmed us as a generation or, or not? Mm -hmm. Like how has it affected us? Um, positive or negative, coming into motherhood with these notions that we can do it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it really breeds perfectionism, um, this idea of doing it all. Um, I think that, you know, girl power felt empowering, but we didn't talk about what the boys were doing. Boys didn't get a message that was like how to support girls or how to support things that we associate with girlhood or whatever. So I think a lot of it was uh, we were kind of tricked into accepting it all, accepting like a, a really full plate and that that was inevitably going to lead us to burnout, mm -hmm. which it, it has for many, many of us um, because nobody can do it all. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I do think we, we were set up to have these expectations, really high expectations of ourselves. I think a lot of us, I noticed with millennials, um, were, we were kind of going, our, our parents were going through a generation of focusing on self-esteem. I talk about this with my parents a lot, like 
they started like, giving trophies out mm. for everything. Um, they started to, you know, like just like focusing on this, like building up self-esteem, but not with like true, <laughs> it's not like, like, you know, you, you're building your self-esteem by doing something hard and achieving it. It was sort of like we were giving out awards and things, which can kind of lead us to look externally mm -hmm. for this like feedback to tell us if we're good to, you know, and so I think a lot of the millennials and or if we're bad, right? Tell it like we a lot of pa our parents focus on punishment. You're grounded. You're, if you know, and so we had a lot of folks telling us what to do mm -hmm. and not a lot of looking within ourselves of like, what is it that I need? What is it that I'm feeling? I think, um, and so I think in motherhood, looking to experts, looking mm. to our peers, looking on social media, we, we're used to doing that. And really motherhood to be successful, I think to successful being like surviving it, <laughs> like you need to look within mm. and trust your gut. And like, like with the breastfeeding thing, it was like, I was trying to trust my gut, but I also was so distracted by how other people were going to perceive me mm. and I wanted to like you know live up to what I thought you know a good mom did or does yeah, and, and in air quotes um, just for quotes. those since we can't see the video here but yeah what <laughs> what is a good mom right well that's a whole other podcast I don't want to even start now because this will be two hours but yeah I love that that idea of going inward instead of outward for that validation. And I think in the breastfeeding relationship, that also happens, right? We look for validation from our child. We don't mm -hmm. want them to be upset with us. And so maybe for a lot of moms, and even I'm sure you have had the experience of nursing when you don't want to, right? Because sure. it's it gets the job done. It gets them silent. <laughs> and in the moment that seems yeah. better, the better option. And, um, you know, that, so I was on your podcast. It hasn't come out yet. So this seems kind of, I think mine might come out first. So it's kind of backwards, but we ended talking about bodily autonomy kind of as this connecting point of feminism and breastfeeding and all of these other elements that go into feminist, you know, thought. Um, do you have any thoughts about that, like that conflictingness of, of bodily autonomy mm -hmm. with continuing use of your body for years yeah. with someone? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think at it, if we could like strip away the culture for a second, like it's a, it's a relationship. It's a dance between us and our children, our baby's child. And that that's that can be really beautiful to sort of like consider, you know, sometimes consider their needs over ours in a moment. Sometimes considering our needs over theirs in a moment. Some moments are like mutually like working out for both of us. Like I think that that's like okay that that happens. I think though when you put us back into society – a lot of us, you know, have felt living in a patriarchal culture um, that our bodies aren't our own or that we're expected to give our bodies up to other people or that are, we're objectified or we're taught that our bodies are, yeah, to make other people feel good and or our bodies are bad and, you know, there's so much there. So I think it's important, like, on an individual level to honor your own <laughs> relationship to your own body and your and your own like just like history there and that it for some of us it may be really challenging to have this little baby who is not in a position of power mm. right which is I think a distinction versus like I think some of the other times where we don't feel in power mm. we're not we're we're maybe scared or we're you know we're talking about sexual assault or things like that, like where you're not in a position of power, I think that can be helpful just to kind of remind you that this baby is is not, even though they may be taking something or you're giving something to them that you don't feel good right now, that's different. Yeah. At the same time, it's a, again, it's a balance being able to 
say, you know what, this is upsetting me right now, or this is hurting me, or this is, that has to be a factor. Like you're allowed to, you should factor in your own comfort. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think there's any easy answers, right? But, oh yeah. They're, I'm not looking for, for easy. Yeah. It's not easy. Um, but I think that's a good point. And I think a lot of moms struggle with it, especially those who are more inclined to be permissive or um, struggle with setting those boundaries and transitioning mm -hmm. from that infant to toddlerhood stage of it's okay. It's okay to say no at some point, right? And it's kind of a mental switch you also have to do that in the beginning, I mean, I was told if the baby's crying, I've waited too long, right? Like it's my mm -hmm. fault. Everything was my fault. And um, like I should have seen the signs sooner. And um, mm. so if you have that, that those traumatic experiences in the beginning, like you had the tongue to all of these things build into our our experience. But I think the point here I, I hope we're adding is our lived experience before becoming mothers also influences it. And becoming aware of how um, can allow us to hopefully become empowered in it instead of being right. like a victim of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Okay. Two more questions. So what would like a mother-centered society look like? Like taking everything apart because something in our conversation also that you said that, or I, I said that in Barbie, it was like the matriarch, right? But you were like, no, that's still a patriarchy. Uh, you know, it's just women in charge, but it's still a patriarchy. So what would a matriarchy like mm -hmm. look like where mothers were lifted up? What would mm -hmm. that ideal look like? I mean, I, my understanding of that is that it's like not such a hierarchical kind of way of being that um, if you think about what we think about like a maternal instinct is, which isn't necessarily – that's a whole other thing, but like real. Um, you could read Chelsea Conaboy's book on that called Mother Brain. Mm. She talks about mother instinct. But um, – this idea of like what's maternal and you think about somebody, a mom who's like thinking about everybody, right? Who's like interested in like what's everybody in the family needing and they tend to that. So I kind of think about it as like more of that community where you're you're thinking more about the group, the 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 community than just the individual. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where like individualism kind of is in there, like, you know, in where you and I are in America, we're like in this very highly individualized society where you focus on your yourself and maybe like your just immediate family. But, you know, thinking about it as like, we, what if we were thinking more about taking care of each other's kids? Mm. Like I sometimes think about like, how could I foster in my community, like the relationships with other parents so that we're sort of taking care of each other, which I think they were doing more in some like in, in a community setting. Um, yeah, that has died. In, at least here. That's died, like, right? That is and I think there's a lot of factors to that. And again, I don't think we have time. That's a whole other tangent. But yeah, the way we parent, I think there's some fear associated with that of like having your child out of sight. Um mm -hmm. there's an element of COVID to do with that, I think, and fear of health and safety in that way. But it is hard to find people <laughs> to watch people your kids. People don't trust. Yeah. Yeah, they don't trust. We don't want to be a burden. Mm. We like putting your, you know, accepting help, putting your your child. It's supposed to be your responsibility. It's my responsibility. But I think that was something that probably in the 1950s, 1960s, I heard, you know, that there was a, more of a sense of you looked out for each other's right. kids and family. Um, and so not that we want to go back to right. that, but like, how do we, how do we balance incorporate it. that and balance it? And I, the way I suggest that is like, Start being a burden. Mm. Like let yourself, you know, so many people are much more willing to like give help than receive it. Mm. And so I think actually the hard thing is receiving it. Yes. You know, like we've, we've, we've had neighbors and, and with like kids and my son, my five-year-old and I were going on a walk and 
like seeing um so, like this one mother who she was like, oh, do you want to come inside and play with our kid? And part of me is like, is that okay? Mm-hmm. Is that, oh, no, no, should we not? You know, it was like close to dinner time. And I, part of me wants to take off any burden from her. And then she's like, no, it's okay. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll come back in a little bit. And she's like, no, we can walk him back. And I was, I mean, we know each other. So this is not like a stranger, right, but like, <laughs> no, but like we know each other. We, But it's like, you know, we know each other from the bus stop and things yes. like, you know, we, we've talked, we, but there's a part of me that wants to be like, take any burden off of her. Like, oh, I'll come back. And she's like, no, we can walk them yeah. him home. And I'm like, okay, I will accept. Like, that seems like a simple thing, but like, yeah. And like asking, hey, can you help uh, make sure the kids get off the bus? I'm running a little bit late. Like seeing other parents do that. And when you start to do that, other people feel more able to do that too. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So I that's my personal thing that I've been trying to do in our my own neighborhood of like, all right, how do we lean into these gradually with trust as you build that trust? With, so it's bringing, folks. building community around where you are, I think is an important part. Your, your cluster, like if you have that possibility, right. But like the neighbor, right. your neighbors, Not everyone does. like making neighbors truly part of your community, I think is a great idea and a place to build that trust. Yeah. Especially if family's not around, which is another whole thing. Yes. If family's not around and yeah, people, I think we've done, gotten a lot out of the in the online space, mm. particularly with COVID and everything. Yeah. But I think people are really wanting to kind of also get back into their communities a little bit yes. more and feel more in touch with that. Okay. Last question. And um, this is something that I've been trying to figure out exactly how to word and it may shift, but I, I think I want to ask each um, guest this is, how has it been a privilege to be a toddler nursing mom? And you can kind of take mm. that question however you want to spin the word. Um, because there's different ways you can go with it. Oh, I I think it's the sweetest. I mean, I, I would take a toddler nursing over infant mm-hmm. nursing anytime. I think um, just hearing their like having little conversations in between nursing, hearing like what what it's like. I remember asking my oldest like what it tastes like. <laughs> he said chocolate milk or chocolate <laughs> ice cream or something. And it's like getting to hear like hear them say like it's like the best thing in the world. It's just like they and so they, there's a way that they can communicate that. I think also yeah, being able to have it as a tool when nothing sometimes else works when just like we all need to reset. You know those toddler tantrums are intense for everyone, and so having like a re like kind of a coming back to home, a back to sort of bringing down your nervous system. And I always learned too that like nighttime um, breast milk was like has um, what is melatonin. it? What's melatonin in mm-hmm. it? It has oxytocin. I feel like it help. It actually helps us too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think just like the little conversations, a little um, just like seeing. I don't know how it, it just adds like a, a home base for busy toddlers. So yeah, I really love that part. Yeah. That's, oh my gosh. That was one of my favorite parts too is, yeah, it's so different than infancy. It's so much better. <laughs> so much better. It, there are different struggles, but it's a beaut- It can become such an amazing relationship. And do you feel like it's set the ground now that you're, especially your older one, like, do you still feel like that established your continued relationship even when it ended? Absolutely. And I think we're talking a lot about like co-regulation, right? Mm-hmm. And there's just I feel I feel bad that there's such a pressure for folks to wean like at a certain point. It's like go to a year and then we'll start weaning immediately. Pediatricians can be so harsh in that way and like so, you know, there's so much pressure. Um, but like actually getting to just like let it be and let it happen is really helpful and it really helps with that co-regulation and helps with the nervous system. And it's like, it's normal. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not something we can just normalize. And I just, if folks are not into that, like that's totally fine. But I wish that more moms knew, mm-hmm. actually, this is the best part, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so yeah, I feel like my son, I mean, 
both of my kids, I try to work on emotional intelligence and things, but that's a that's a lifetime mm-hmm. thing, and and emotion regulation is a lifetime thing. So, mm-hmm. I definitely feel like it's been part of it for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I I'm so excited to put this out in the world, and I know that people are going to really connect with with what you shared. So thank you for being vulnerable and and sharing such a personal experience with us. Thank you, Erin, for inviting me. I really appreciate being here. I hope you enjoyed Erin's story as much as I did. I think it was a beautiful example of what toddler-led weaning can look like, but also demonstrates how each child can be different. Your breastfeeding journey will look different than Erin's, and it may not be as long, and there's no right or wrong there. It's just our personal experiences and stories. In our next episode, I'll be talking about what breastfeeding success should look like and what we do as extended nursing moms to set ourselves up to feel like we fail. It is up and ready for you to listen to now. And last, please follow and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're liking the show, please leave a rating or review. It will really help other toddler nursing moms find the show faster if you just take 30 seconds to a minute to do that. Want to connect with me? Please go over to Instagram and DM me. I am at erin.nursingmamas. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, happy nursing. You're not alone.